0: It's interesting preaching to a somewhat empty church this morning. I hope that everybody's safe and warm at home. I, for one, enjoy the weather. I was telling Skylar and Larry and my dad this morning that I was afraid we might go all winter without snow. So I was excited to see it. I know my oldest boy, Bennett, was super excited. He doesn't have a whole lot of words down this morning, but he just kept looking out the window saying, snow, snow, snow. And he was so excited. I'm happy to be able to open God's Word with you this morning and study it together. Um, But first, I'd like to just kind of talk about why we're going to this passage. As 2022 was coming, and I knew Skylar had asked me if I wanted to preach this morning, I started thinking about what it feels like to start a new year. And I don't know how many of you do New Year's resolutions or New Year's commitments, but I know that's pretty common in our country. I know I've done them before. You can't take yourself too seriously when you do them, (laughs) but they're kind of fun. So I don't know if any of you out there this morning have tried to make any New Year's resolutions, or if you'll even make it past the first week keeping him, but I think it's appropriate at the beginning of a new year to look at who you are and who we want to become, what changes we should make. It's different for us as believers because the world asks, who do I want to be? But as believers, we ask the question, who does God want us to be in 2022? Just to kind of open up that topic. I'll share an embarrassing story. It wasn't really a New Year's resolution, but it was a resolution. <clears throat> when I was in high school, we had been on family vacation, and we got back. <clears throat> we had done nothing all week except eat unhealthy food, ride around in a car, and relax. And so we got back, and I won't I won't throw him under the bus, but one of my family members, either Brandon or my dad, and I decided that we were going to change once we got back to Clinton. We decided that we were going to eat healthy and be healthy and undo everything we had done the week before. And I don't know why we decided to do this, and I don't know why we didn't listen to Wendy, but we decided that for a week, all we were going to eat was fruit and vegetables to undo what we had done. And we didn't even make it 48 hours in that commitment, before we had reverted back to eating our normal diet and doing our normal things. So New Year's resolutions don't always last, but we still have to ask the question at the beginning of this year, who were we in 2021 that God doesn't want us to be in 2022? What important changes should we make? How do we try and better ourselves as God's people moving forward? And how do we have a balanced view of this? So, what I'd like to do is, I'd like to go to a passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. To give you a little bit of background for 1 Corinthians, the 1 Corinthian passage that we're reading this morning was written to a church that was very, very divided. The Corinthian church had more than its fair share of problems. They were not unified. They were a carnal church. Oftentimes the Corinthians were rebuked by Paul, corrected by Paul, for the common mistakes they were making. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, or some of you say I follow Christ. So even in chapter one of this letter, Paul says there are Tons of divisions among you. The Corinthians divided themselves into these little groups of following their favorite pastor. Paul, who planted the church and shared the gospel with them, or Apollos, you remember Apollos? He was a very gifted preacher in the early years of the New Testament. He was from Egypt. And initially, he only understood John the Baptist's message. He didn't know the full story. He didn't know about the crucifixion. He didn't know about the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. But you remember Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos the full story. And he continued to preach and to minister to many of the churches that Paul planted, and apparently the church at Corinth was one of those. So a lot of the people followed Paul, but a lot of them thought, well, Apollos is a more recent Pastor, we follow Apollos. Or some of them looked at the teachings of Christ and the twelve disciples and they thought Christ put Peter as the leader of the twelve. Peter is the leader of the Jerusalem church where all of this began. Maybe we should follow Peter. And some of the Corinthians having a more holistic view did have the perspective that was correct. We follow Christ. We don't follow any individual men. But even in chapter 1, we see these divisions. We see him again in chapter 11. Paul says, When you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. So it wasn't just that they divided up among little groups following their favorite preacher, their favorite pastor. When they came together, there were divisions. Even in their services. And the specific example that he goes on to describe in chapter 11 is the Lord's Supper. When they would come together, even to take the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, it was complete chaos. Some of the Christians would gorge themselves on the bread and wine and they would turn it into a party, and some of the Christians who maybe showed up later would get nothing. They wouldn't even get to take the ordinance because of the way that the other Christians had abused it. He actually goes on to say that God killed some of the Corinthian believers because of the way they treated each other and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper when they came together. He wanted to get their attention and He killed some of them for their selfishness and disrespect. So this is not a church that's unified. This is a church that has been broken apart by self-interest and by fleshly desires. The city of Corinth was the same way. The church at Corinth was divided, but the city was divided as well socially. Estimates vary widely, but a pretty good rough estimate is that about a third of the people that lived in Corinth were enslaved. And about a third of them were freed slaves, and the other third had been born free. So this is a city that it has some very significant social structures. Not a lot of opportunity for movement in the city or for bettering your position. They did not know or experience the freedom we have living in the United States. Education was not widely available. Jobs were not freely taken. You had your own place in society and you were expected to stay there. And this rough estimate of a third slaves, a third freedmen, and a third born free would have played into the Corinthian church as well. So this is a church that's full of slaves, freed slaves, and freemen. If anything, the Corinthian church probably had more of the lower class, slaves or freed slaves. Because in chapter 1, Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul knew that the people in this church were low and despised. They were weak. They didn't have the power that some of the leaders in Corinth had. So this is a young church, a church that's separated and divided even in their services, and a church that's divided socially among these three different classes of society. And I'll just start off by warning us this morning, or by telling us, that would have created the potential for a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. A lot of problems. And I think it's hard for us to understand that living in the 21st century in America, it's hard for us to grasp what it would have been like to be a member at the Corinthian church. So I want to try and illustrate it a little bit to get us thinking about it. And because Doug, Larry, and Skyler are here this morning, I'll pick on them. What if Larry was born free? Yeah, <laughs> Larry said yay. So Larry's born free, and he's a Jewish person, because the Corinthian church would have further been segmented into a Jewish population and a Greek population. So Larry was born free as a Jew. I'm enslaved. Doug's enslaved. And Schuyler was a slave, but now he's free. What would it have been like for us to be a part of the same church? Larry is a Jew, and he has all of the historical benefits of being a Jew. He knows the Old Testament. He knows what God's done for Israel, and he knows many of the prophecies about what the Messiah would be like. And he has the heritage that comes with all of that. Larry's father was a believer, and his grandfather and great-great-great-great-grandfather, he came from the historical people of God. I'm a slave, born a slave, my parents were slaves, to a terrible owner. Terrible. Doug's a slave to a generous owner, and Schuyler's free. <clears throat> The potential for problems and conflicts within the church would have been huge because of our different lifestyles and the freedoms that we possessed. Larry, as a free Jewish man, could do whatever he wanted. He could come to any church service, be a part of anything that the church did. If Doug's owner is lenient, he can come to anything that he wants be a part of Bible studies and prayer groups, he can evangelize, maybe even has the freedom to study the Scriptures on his own. But Doug still is burdened by the fact that he's not free. So while Larry doesn't feel the oppression of being enslaved, Doug does. And every day, Doug feels this conflict in his heart that he's owned by a man and by Christ. And every day he feels this conflict that he can't give all of himself to Christ because he's also owned by another. Schuyler, as a freed man, has more opportunity than the rest of us, but deals with his own set of struggles. The poverty that comes with it, Men who were born slaves and became free had a lot of difficulty coming by good paying jobs or security in that social structure. Each of us comes to church every week burdened with our own temptations. Temptations sometimes unique to our class. For me, I look at all three of these men and I wish that I could be them. I wish I could be free like Larry. I wish I could have the freedom to pursue God openly like Doug, even though he's enslaved. And I wish I had the freedom that Skyler has. But if I have a harsh or ungenerous master, owner, every day I come to church is just a gift because I'm owned, body and mind, time and energy to another person. He could tell me tomorrow that I can't come to church anymore. How do I serve God as a slave? How do I give Him everything? The struggles I face are envy and jealousy, or maybe guilt, because I feel like even though I want to serve Christ with 100% of my being, I may not be able to lead a Sunday school class, come to a prayer time, because it's all based on the whim of my Master. Every day I feel like I give God the leftovers of my life. I give the to- God the time that my owner doesn't take. I give Him the energy that the, my owner doesn't take. I can't serve Him by my own choice and will because I don't have a lot of will. I don't have a lot of free choice in my life. So this is a church that would have been impacted greatly by society that it lived in. Freedom was not available to all of the members at Corinth. So you have a divided church living in a divided city. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that because there's a lot of differences in our church But we share a lot of common ground that the believers in the Corinthian church did not share. We all live in the United States, so we're all free. Education is pretty available. You can take out student loans and go to college. There's free education up through high school graduation for everyone. You can pursue a different career if you want to. We have all of this opportunity. All of these common ties as Americans that the Corinthians would not have had. And Larry as a Jew would have inherited centuries and thousands of years' worth of prejudice against the Greeks. Even if Larry as a believer... Larry's frowning at me right now. Even if Larry as a believer wanted to get past that, it would be difficult. Because his father viewed the Greeks as unworthy of being considered the people of God. And his grandfather would have looked down on the Greeks. And his great-grandfather would have looked down on the Greeks. And suddenly, in this New Testament era, equality is preached among the people of God. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a Jew anymore. But just a generation before, it did matter. As a Greek, you could not come to God unless you first proselytized to become a Jew. You had to get circumcised. You had to be associated with the historical people of God, the Israelites, to even draw near to God. And suddenly that barrier has been torn down. But that would be a hard barrier to overcome. Schuyler, as a free man who used to be a slave, may actually look at Doug's life with envy. If he is living in poverty, unable to provide for his family very well, and Doug is employed and owned by a generous, wealthy master, Doug's life may be considerably easier than Schuyler's, even though Schuyler is free. So Schuyler may look at both Doug and Larry with longing for the lifestyles they live. The opportunity for for sin to slip into this church would have been amplified by the hardships that they faced. Envy, jealousy, bitterness, guilt at not being able to serve God because of being a slave. All of these were realities for the Corinthian believers. And Paul addresses that in chapter 7. So turn to chapter 7 with me. And let's read what the solution is. How does God expect the believers to serve Him from the various lifestyles that they lead? How can a slave who has no control over their life live a life that's as pleasing to God as Larry, who is a free man of the historical people of God? Chapter 7, verse 17 Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. What's the answer? You have free Jews and free Greeks. You have enslaved Greeks and you have slaves who, or Greeks who used to be slaved, but now they're free. And in the midst of all of this, Paul simply says, Lead the life that God has assigned to you. Oh, and by the way, this isn't my rule just for Corinth. I preach this in every church. In Ephesus, in the region of Galatia. I preach it in Thessalonica. This is the rule for all of God's people. Lead the life God has assigned. How do you you face being a slave and wanting to be free? you face it in contentment. The first thing that we learn from this passage is that regardless of where you are in life, God's sovereignty exists there. We're forced to acknowledge God's sovereignty. Not just sovereignty in our salvation, not just sovereign over the massive plan, the overarching plan, the great plan, that God has for the world, but sovereign in the details of our lives. Even the smallest of details are controlled by the sovereign plan of God. We accept it, we acknowledge it, and we find peace in God's control. I think it's important to acknowledge and to point out God isn't condemning An entrepreneurial mindset in the early church. This isn't fatalism—that you are where you are and you can do nothing about it. He's calling us to peace in our circumstances. The Bible is full of examples of people who went out and worked hard and bettered their lives. God's for that. The Proverbs 31 woman is making garments. She's buying and selling fields. She's planting vineyards. See, She's selling merchandise and garments all to make her family's situation and business more profitable. God encourages entrepreneurship. He encourages hard work. James 4 describes a man who sinfully, pridefully says, next year I'll go into this city and that city and I'll make a profit and do this and that. And James condemns that attitude, but he condemns it because of the Pride not because of the desire to make a profit. It's not wrong to travel to various cities and attempt to make a profit, but we should always say it and encourage it and attempt it with the perspective of if God wills. If God wills, I'll do this or that and make a profit in this city or that city. Jacob and Abraham in the Old Testament grew their flocks and their possessions and their servants as God blessed their hard work. And even Paul the man who is writing this passage, picked up tent making, which I assume he did not know how to do as an elite Jewish Pharisee. He didn't know how to do it, but when he became a Christian, he wanted another way to support his own lifestyle so he didn't burden the churches. So he picked up tent making for the extra income to meet his needs. What Paul is warning us against here is restlessness. the opportunity to advance themselves in the Corinthian church may not have been there. So he's warning the Corinthians against restlessness and discontentment. Paul wanted them to have content hearts to not be dissatisfied with the circumstances that God has put us in. As a slave or a free man, as a Greek or a Jew, to find contentment in Christ's sovereignty. That's His rule in all the churches. He goes on to say in verse 18, was anyone at the time of His call already circumcised? Already associating with the Jewish people? Let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. Just stay there. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Were you a Greek when you became a Christian? Let him not seek circumcision. You don't have to associate with the Jews to be a Christian. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Circumcision was a hot topic in the early church. And there was a lot of confusion and a lot of division about it. In Acts chapter 15, they have to hash out this issue in one of the first councils in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas were in the Greek churches teaching and some of the Jewish believers from Jerusalem came and they started teaching that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. You had to take two steps you had to associate with the people of God, the Jews, to associate with Christ and the Gospel. And Paul and Barnabas wanted to tear down that heresy. You didn't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. You could become a Christian in one step. So in Acts chapter 15, it says, But some men came from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Do you have to be circumcised to get to Christ? Do you have to be circumcised to live as closely to God as you want to? And the answer is absolutely no. But this would have been a huge religious barrier within the Corinthian church. For Larry, as a born freedman who's a Jew, he has to overcome thousands of years of knowing that that is the answer. In the Old Testament, you could not come to God without being circumcised, you had to associate with the Jewish people. And suddenly, under the grace of Christ and the cross, that's no longer the case. But what if you're Doug? What if you're a a slave who's a Greek and you want to be closer to God? You want to have the freedom to move closer to God, to take a step towards obedience to Him, to have some sort of freedom in your life, to make some sort of choice all on your own, to serve Him. Circumcision might look appealing. You don't have a lot of freedom over your own choices, over your own body, but that's a decision you could make. He might be thinking, maybe I would feel just a little bit closer to God if I took this extra step and was circumcised, associated myself with the Jewish people like Larry, and in some sense, Attached myself to the Old Testament blessings. What if I did that? Would that do anything for me? Would I feel a little bit more in control of my life? Would I feel a little bit closer to Christ? And Paul's trying to put that to rest. No, you don't. You don't need to be circumcised. Circumcision counts for nothing, uncircumcision counts for nothing. All that counts is obedience to Christ. So that's the first barrier that these believers have to cross. They have to break down this barrier. What about those who are circumcised? What are those who are not? Does that make any difference in first century Corinth? That religious division should not exist in the church. The second division that they have to overcome is the slavery issue. He says in verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Don't be concerned about it. Can we just admit that's a hard thing to say? I think if I was a slave in the Corinthian church, I would have been like, what? What do you mean, don't think anything of it, Paul? Have you ever been a slave? Have you ever had no control over your life? How can you tell me not to be concerned about my slavery? It's all I think about most days when I look at the other people in the church who have the freedom to volunteer, the freedom to go and evangelize other people, the freedom to spend however much of their evening they want studying the Scriptures, I wake up every day and I serve my Master. And I serve Him till He goes to sleep and then I go to sleep. I have nothing. How can you tell me not to be concerned about my slavery? Paul says, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity, obviously it's better to be free. He's not denying that. But he's saying don't be concerned about the fact that you're a slave. In verse twenty-two, he says, "For he who is called in the Lord as a slave, is a freedman in the Lord. He who is called as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called, is now a slave of Christ." Paul saying all of your social statuses are irrelevant when you come together as the people of God. You may desire freedom physically, and you should. Freedom's great. He's acknowledging that. But it should no longer, as a Christian, be the driving desire of your life. We're content in the assignment of God. We're content where God called us. Paul's telling them you don't have to worry about your position in life as far as it is concerned to you serving the Lord. If God saved you as a slave, He doesn't expect for you to have the freedom to serve Him. He doesn't expect the same thing of a slave and a freed man. He knows if you're a slave that you may not have the ability to make your own choices. You may not have any ability to give to the finances of the church because you don't have any money of your own. You may not be able to show hospitality to saints and invite them into your home. You don't have a home. You're a slave. God takes into account your position in life when he looks for faithfulness. He who is called in the Lord as a slave is free. He who is free when called is now a slave of Christ. There's this leveling. You may have been a slave when you were saved, but now Christ gives you spiritual freedom. You may have been free physically, but now you belong to Christ and you're in very real ways, a slave to him spiritually. We are owned by Christ now. We have both freedom and obligation in the Lord. Just like all of us experience to some degree freedom and obligation in our physical lives. Paul's trying to get across the idea that in Christ we are all new people and God sees us as these new people. So even though I might be a slave in the Corinthian church, and I can't donate money, I can't donate time, I may only be able to come when my Master gives me permission. The message of 1 Corinthians 7 is that our obligations should not keep us from faithfulness to God. you may not have the opportunity to make yourself better, to better your position physically or socially, but all of us have equal opportunity to serve God faithfully. And he addresses what I mentioned might be Schuyler's attitude. If is a freed man who used to be a slave, he may be thinking about going back into slavery. Because sometimes you had a better life Serving a generous master than you did as a freedman. You may have had guaranteed meals or the respect that your master was given. If Doug, serving a generous master, goes into the marketplace, he's not seen as lowly Doug, he's seen for the status of his owner. So you may have more respect, more food, better living environment as a slave than as a freedman. So in verse 23, he he addresses that. He says, you were bought with a price. Don't become bondservants of men. Don't, Don't knowingly become a slave again. Some of you in the Corinthian church are struggling with the fact that you serve two owners now. You serve a physical, social owner and you serve a spiritual owner, God. And you're dealing with that conflict, that friction that comes from that. So he's telling them, if you have your freedom... Don't lose some of it. It's better to be a poor free man and to have all of the opportunity to pursue, to pursue God and to serve God at your own decision than to give that up simply for a better lifestyle. Don't knowingly become a slave of men again. You see underneath all these words Paul's acknowledgement that slavery is not good. God can turn something like slavery into a a blessed life because of His sovereignty, but it's not the best of situations. You were bought with a price. Christ now owns you. Don't knowingly become a slave again. Verse 24, he says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So I say all this to say that the Corinthian believers... did not know the freedoms or opportunities that we have as Americans. And they would have had a lot of division within the church socially. But even for the Corinthian believers, they were called to contentment in the sovereign place that God had put them in life. That's true of us today, church. That's true of us today wherever God has put you at the beginning of 2022, whatever your occupation, whatever your income level, whatever your talents or your hobbies, whatever the gifts that the Spirit has given you to serve the body of Christ, wherever God has put you, you have ample opportunity to serve and be faithful to the Lord. The message of 1 Corinthians 7 is that the Corinthians did not need to focus their energy on bettering themselves because Christ had already made them better. Christ had already made them full and new and perfect. You could be a slave in the Corinthian church and not have a lot of opportunity to serve God, and God still had you exactly where He wanted you. So church, this morning, wherever you are at the beginning of this year, I encourage you to find peace there. Sure, pick up a couple New Year's resolutions for fun. But don't for one instant expect that God's pleasure for you or God's joy over you as his child depends on your actions to make yourself something that you're not. Sure, God has expectations for us as believers. There may be some habits or some lifestyle choices that God doesn't want us to do, especially if it's sinful. That's a given. But I just tell you this morning, God is sovereign over the details of our lives. If a Corinthian slave could find contentment in his situation, so can all of us. If they could be faithful in the little things, we can be faithful in the little things. Look again at verse 24. Brothers, in whatever condition you were called, Remain there with God. God is equally accessible to all of us. If you're a child of God this morning, God makes no distinction based on education, income, or ability. We are all of us equal in the Lord. Find peace there. Find contentment in 2022 in the fact that you are owned and provided for and loved by the Savior. Don't lose yourself in 2022 pursuing your own self-interest like the Corinthians did. Don't focus all of your energy on your next job or a bigger bank account or a healthier lifestyle even. Give yourself over to the Lord this year. Give yourself 100% to the calling that God has placed on you. Any occupation can glorify the Lord. And that's a humbling thing. It's more humbling for the Corinthians than for us because none of us are slaves. None of us are Greeks who are having to deal with Jews who may be have some elitism or some racism that they're having to overcome. God wants the church to be one under His Son. Let's pray this morning. Thank God for this truth. I think if I was a slave in the Corinthian church and this letter had been read, it would have been an immense encouragement to think, I have no control over my own life, and yet Christ is satisfied with me. I may not ever have the opportunity to teach a Sunday school class or go on a mission trip. I may not give one penny to the church's finances because everything I have is owned by my worldly owner. Yet God's okay with that. God recognizes my circumstances and not just recognizes them, but is behind it all, sovereignly dealing out blessings and gifts and opportunities, regardless of where we are. God, we thank You this morning for Your sovereignty. We thank You that You're in control of the details of our lives. God, that You can bless us spiritually, that we can grow in Christ in every occupation, in every town, in any country, in any time frame, whether it was first century Greece or 21st century America, the opportunity to be obedient, to serve You, and to find peace in You and great contentment is never determined by where You've placed us. It's all dependent on our obedience to You, and on how faithfully and passionately we pursue Your Son. So God, we pray that that would be true of us this morning. That we wouldn't get caught up in what some would call the American dream. Chasing that better job. Chasing that bigger bank account. More toys. More fun. Help us to see value where value truly is. And that's Christ. That's the Gospel. That's Your Word. That's obedience to You. Help us to find our contentment, to find our meaning, to find our our everything in Your Son. We ask all of these things for His glory. Amen.